marketers are definitely targeting teens with cheap and addictive vapes. Uh, this is what uh, Janet has said. She's a leading researcher into achieving smoke-free targets and she's a professor of public health at the University of Otago. And Janet's on the line now to explain or perhaps take us through from a marketer's perspective how vaping could be made less appealing. No, actually not from a marketer's perspective, would it be, Janet? From your perspective... Well, look, I, I have to confess that um, before I, I saw the light and turned to public health, I did teach marketing for several years. So I can um, hark back to the distant past and try and offer a marketer's perspective if, if that's what you would like. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see personally from a copywriting perspective, having, having written ads for a, a, a lot of years very early on, it would be very easy to market vape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got the ideal product, haven't you? It's very nifty technologically. It's got that kind of gadgety appeal to it. It's very easy to conceal for young people uh, when they want to display it. It's got fantastic designs, really appealing, bright colours. It's something that confers social cachet on them. I mean, yeah, you're right. If you want to market it, it's a bit of a dream product, really. And what kind of ads? I see the ones that are the visual ads, um, but but are there any ads? Are you allowed to sort of advertise vaping, like on the radio, for example? No, you're not any longer. So that was one of the really sensible restrictions that came in in the vaping legislation that was passed a couple of years ago. But of course, I think when we think about marketing, um, many people tend to focus on advertising because of course that's the most visual and, and dominant aspect of, of marketing. But marketing actually includes other components. So it's how easy it is for young people to access the product. It's about the design of the product itself, which we were just talking about. It's about how affordable the product is to them. So marketers really create a strategy, you know, using what are colloquially called the four P's, the product, place, price and promotion. And just because traditional mass media promotion is no longer available, it doesn't mean to say that those other components aren't being used. And of course, promotions are occurring via social media as well, which is a much more difficult platform to try and regulate. Yeah, and and just by seeing people vaping, obviously, it's like cool, isn't it? The Marlborough man type cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the more people, young people are exposed to vaping, the more normal they see the behaviour and the more normal something becomes, then the easier it is to experiment with it. But of course, it's not simply just seeing other people vape. It's the fact that, you know, when they walk down the main street of whichever town they happen to live in, they're probably going to go past at least half a dozen, probably more, specialist vape stores and they'll have window displays or they'll go into a, a dairy or a 7-Eleven type store and there'll be a huge display of vaping products behind the counter. So young people are exposed to vapes not simply through the behaviours of others but also because of what they see just in their everyday lives. When we're talking young people, you're not allowed to um, buy any vaping products under the age of 18 though, are you? Um, you're not supposed to sell uh, vaping products to young people aged under 18. But, you know, I was just having a look at the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation report, uh, which was conducted a couple of years ago, talking to young people about how they obtained their vapes. And 50% of them said that they bought their vapes from dairies. So more young people reported getting vapes from dairies than from any other source. So, so how old are we talking, Janet? Um, are, we, are we looking at like 12-year-olds vaping? 
Um, well, their study was of secondary school students, but um, we haven't conducted studies ourselves of people as young as 12-year-olds, um, but certainly reports that we hear from young adults, uh, rangatahi who are aged 16 and over, who we've been doing a lot of work with, they are routinely reporting young people at their school, approaching them, seeing them vape, asking if they can borrow their vape. So vaping is becoming a much more prevalent practice among younger people. And like those RTDs too, the flavours are just very palatable, aren't they? Yes, they are. And of course, you know, the flavours are named in a way that makes them deliberately very appealing to young people. So, you know, the bubble gum, the confectionery flavours, the more evocative names like unicorn's milk and, and those sorts of things. I mean, you know, when I taught marketing, if somebody had said to me, go out and design a product and make it appealing to adults who are in their 50s or 60s and who we want to transition to marketing, well, I can tell you they wouldn't have been the first names that popped into my mind. <laughs> Unicorn's milk. It is pretty good. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, people have just had amazing freedom to be very creative and to create flavours, names that they know are going to be alluring to young people that will pique their curiosity, entice them to experiment. And because many of these products now have got very high levels of nicotine, um, you know what we're seeing is that young people don't need to experiment particularly frequently before they become dependent on nicotine and find themselves needing to vape more and more regularly. Okay, we'll get to the nicotine in a moment. But you, you're against smoking in all its forms. That'd be right, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, well smoking is, is one of the most, or tobacco is one of the most harmful products that, that's sold as a normal consumer product. So we definitely need to do something about that. And it's great that the government is now doing that. Do you think that it's possible, I mean, we're getting very near to 2025, uh, Tariana Turia's initiative uh, all those years back. Uh, it's not really going to be possible to be smoke-free by 2025, but that generational uh, legislation for smoking will help. Um, look, I think all the measures that are set out in the legislation are really important, and I think we could still get to 2025, depending on how quickly those measures are implemented. So, for example, the modelling work that, that my colleagues have done um, and they have particular expertise in that field, that estimates that we'll just have radical, really dramatic drops in smoking prevalence once denicotinized tobacco is introduced. So that's tobacco that's no longer addictive. And what the trials internationally and here in Aotearoa have shown that people who are supplied with cigarettes that have, have got minimal levels of nicotine in them, they just lose interest in smoking. They don't smoke more to try and compensate because actually it's impossible to do that. They figure that out, lose interest in smoking, make more quit attempts and become more successful at making those quit attempts and become smoke-free. All right. That measure, I mean, that's a game-changing measure. And the sooner that's introduced, the sooner we will see these rapid reductions in smoking prevalence. So the, certainly the smoke-free generation idea is extremely important in protecting future generations. But the denicotinisation is probably the core measure in the legislation. Denicotisation, am I saying that right? Denicotisation? Denicotinisation. Denicotinisation, yeah. okay. Uh, interesting way to give up smoking. You're forced to, really. Um, and you would go through the same withdrawals, I'd imagine. 
Um, well, I guess that's one of the reasons why it is important that people have alternative sources of nicotine available to them. So, of course, they will continue to have the approved treatments like patches and, and gums and those sorts of things. But we also know that for some people, um, those products, they've tried them um, sometimes multiple times and they haven't been able to quit successfully. So vaping products could play an important role in helping people who smoke, who've tried unsuccessfully to quit using the other approaches um, to offer them a, a reduced harm alternative. So I guess we had this real balance between supporting those people to move off smoking, but at the same time making sure that vaping doesn't become appealing to young people. And I think that, personal, think yeah, that horse is, got that. No, <laughs> has bolted, yeah. Um, what um, do you call um, vape smoke? Is it just vape? You know, the, it's, well, it's a, it's well, people a, call it call it vape or um, steam, but actually steam. it's not steam. It's an aerosol. Uh, I mean, so it's it's got droplets of liquid suspended in it, so it's not steam, and it's it's not simply water vapor. It's an aerosol. Ugh, I was thinking before. Um, it's not a judgment on the person who's vaping, but when you walk past somebody and they there's so much of it when they breathe out over you. Um, some of the, the devices you know, certainly do produce these very large aerosol clouds, but some of the more recent um, vaping products, um, especially the, the pod-style vapes, they have much more discrete um, aerosol clouds. So uh, there, there's a lot of variability in, in how big those clouds are. All right, Janet, you, you mentioned uh, the four Ps, uh, product, place, price, was the other one promotion? promotion? Yeah, right. So, mm-hmm. so product. That that's how you. Uh, that's basically the the vape itself. Um, is there anything else to add to that? Um, well, I think when we think about the product, you know, we've got to think about the design of the product. So we were talking oh, about, about the design. Colors. Yep. Yeah, yes. we, we talk about the size of the, the product, so just how easy it is to hold in your hand, how easy it is to disguise it so that it looks like a flash drive or something else. Um, and we also think about the flavours that we were talking about and the nicotine content that's present. So the product design really involves considering all of those different components and putting together packages and the way in which those packages have been put together at the moment um, makes them highly appealing to young people. Righto. Um, so what does place refer to? Is that where you can well, get them from? Yeah, that's where you can get them from. And, you know, at, at the moment, um, there are literally thousands of outlets that sell vaping products. So we've got a division between generic retailers, which are outlets like dairies or service stations, and specialist vape stores. So the generic retailers are limited in the flavours that they can sell, uh, they can only sell tobacco, menthol and mint flavours and the specialist vape stores can sell the full panoply of flavours. So we've got more than 1,100 specialist vape stores. That's an Heck. awful lot of, of stores. And we've got you know, several thousand generic retailers. So these products which you know, uh, were introduced and supported by the government to act as a tool to help people who can't quit smoking to move to a reduced harm alternative are now really being sold as though they're everyday consumer items. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen this incredible uptake among young people. They are good-looking stores. They look like a skate store or something like that. You're very compelled, quite compelled to go into them. I can see why. Even the design, you know, the, the marketing design of uh, you know, the signage, everything looks good. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the stalls are, are extremely cool looking. And, you know, as you say, that that wasn't a, a chance, that wasn't an accident of fate. That was a, a very deliberate design process that was gone through. And promotion, and we talked about that as well. So product, place, price and promotion. Uh, and in terms of, of price, how much, you know, what's the price of a vape? Well, you can buy a bundle, well, I guess, or was a bundle yeah, instead it, of a packet? <laughs> Well, I think some people certainly buy in bulk. I mean, they, they range in price. So, and, and I think, again, that's where we see one of the biggest problems as far as targeting young people is concerned because disposable vapes, which are very high nicotine, very visually attractive, you can buy them for less than $10. So I think if we're, if we're serious about protecting young people, we should just get rid of those disposable vapes. They, I mean, Minister Zero has described them in, in some comments that she made as an easy gateway product to vaping, and I'm quoting directly from her there. And there there's really no rationale for having disposable vapes because for people who are smoking and want to transition to vaping, they're going to need a product that's got more than a few thousand puffs. They're going to need a product that sees them through weeks or months as they make that transition. So I think the only rationale for disposables from a marketer's point of view is that it's a great way to get young people hooked. And how much does how long would a disposable vape last you? Well, it depends. I mean, I, I'm working with a couple of, of fabulous medical students at the moment who've been talking to young people and asking them exactly that question. So some of these vapes, they're promoted as having, say, about 2,000 puffs. Well, young people talk about using a disposable vape like that in a night at a party. And some of them, when they're really dependent, they will talk about using a vape with 2,000 puffs in a day. That's a lot of puffs. I wonder how many puffs there are in a cigarette. I wonder if anybody's done that study. (laughs) Oh no, lots of people have looked at smoking topography and um, because the cigarette burns, it, it really depends on how deeply people inhale. Inhale, right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I've got um, something in front of me from, uh, this is from Vice actually, um, from the online um, site Vice, and it says, new study suggests vaping damages your immune system. This just came out a couple of days ago, so have you heard about that? No, no, I haven't. Um, very very uh, interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I'm probably not the best person to comment on that because, you know, as I, I confessed earlier, my uh, initial training wasn't in medicine. It, it was, was in marketing. <laughs> yeah, so um, so talking about the effects on the immune system, uh, a little bit of a stretch for me, I'm sorry. Yeah, but certainly that's another thing to add to the mix, isn't it? All right, let's talk about the nicotine content in, um, in vaping. Uh, I've read that cigarettes have the equivalent of... 3 to 15 milligrams of nicotine per mil. Am I right? Is that the right, the right so, you know, measure in terms of, um, anyway. But, but vapes have 40 milligrams per mil. Yeah, I mean, the concentration of nicotine in vaping products can be very high, although, it's, again, this is not really my area of, of expertise, but I understand from colleagues who do work on these questions that it can be quite difficult to make direct comparisons between cigarettes and vaping simply because the absorption of nicotine can differ depending on whether it's come through combustion, through smoking, or whether it's um, it, it comes through the aerosol that's created when when people vape. So um, I don't think that we can draw direct comparisons, but having said that, 
I think that the nicotine content in our vapes is very high, uh, certainly when we compare New Zealand to the EU where they have a, a limit of 20 milligrams um, per mil of, of nicotine. You know, we are having or seeing available here products that have got much greater levels of nicotine than that. Well, I understand. So the mill is really the liquid form of the vape, and if you had a cigarette and you could take that into a liquid form, that would be the comparison. Um, again, I'm not sure that we can make a direct comparison like that, and I'm sorry I'm not the right person to ask that question of, but uh, as I say, my colleagues are, who are more, working more actively in this area have really cautioned about doing these direct comparisons. For example, people saying, you know, in a disposable vape, young people might get a full pack of cigarettes. Um, it's not just a simple comparison of... The, the nicotine content because the way that the absorption of nicotine can differ. Yeah, I understand. I was just thinking about how they did the measurement of it, though. Um, uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. I've got some questions for you here. A lot of people would like, uh, maybe you maybe you maybe have the answer, you maybe not. Uh, Dr. Greg Dunn says, uh, Hi, Karen and Janet. Is it known if tobacco companies are involved in the marketing and promotion of vaping products? Yes, tobacco companies have, um, have got vaping products. So, um, some of the, the brands that are available in New Zealand are um, brands that are marketed by tobacco companies. Uh, there you go, Greg. And uh, this person... You can have a look on, on their websites. I mean, there are only really three major tobacco companies operating in New Zealand. So if you have a look at their websites, then you can see which brands they are uh, offering. Okay. What are they? Philip Morris? Uh, Philip Morris is the, a smaller company in New Zealand, British American Tobacco. It's the largest company, and Imperial Tobacco is, it's got the second largest market share of smoked tobacco products. Right, and they've all got websites that you can check it out. Okay. Um, I'm, this person asks, I'd like to know about the lack of information and regulation of the additives that are put into both cigarettes and vapes. What's in cigarettes besides nicotine? What is in vapes besides flavours or nicotine? Are the flavours dangerous even? So, you know, what the what it's made of? Um, well, tobacco companies are required to give to the Ministry of Health uh, a set of the constituents that are in their product. So the, these are called the annual returns, and they have to supply these to the Ministry of Health each year. So it is possible to go online and have a look at everything that's in tobacco products. Um, you, you do need a bit of a background in chemistry to be able to understand what some of those are, but that information is available. The Ministry of Health is introducing uh, some similar regulations of vaping companies and they are also going to have to supply information about what's in e-liquids. And I haven't checked this, but I understand that the first set of returns data was due at the end of January this year. Right, so so now that we know a little bit more about vaping and uh, the marketing to young people, what can be done to ameliorate this? You know, how can we stop it or you know, target it? from a policy I, I think, level? I think that there are lots of things that we can do, and we've talked about a few of them, but I think the very first thing that we should think about doing is making vaping products much harder for young people to access. As I said, you know, we're treating these products as though they're just ordinary consumer items, and they really aren't. So we should get them out of dairy, supermarkets, and 
and service stations and we should reduce the number of specialist bait stores so that we don't have these clusters of them in downtown areas. So I think that's the first thing that we should do. We know that for people who smoke, making that transition from smoking to vaping, it's not always straightforward. People have got to recreate a whole lot of social practices that had smoking embedded in them and they've got to transition those to include vaping and they need advice often to make that transition successfully. If they go to a specialist vape store they're more likely to talk with someone who knows the products uh, that, that she or he is selling and who may also have made that transition from smoking to vaping themselves. So I think we need people with better expertise uh, selling the products and we may need to make them less available so that they don't have that impression of just being a, a normal consumer item. Okay, so ban them from, from service stations and dairies and those kind of outlets, yep. but uh, those people who are over 18, they, they want to vape, uh, they won't be happy with that. Well, it's not saying that they can't go to a specialist vape store. Um, it's just that the, said, the supply won't be the same. Um, there are, there are 11, more than 1,100 specialist vape stores throughout the country. So they've got enough options, you think? Okay, all right, yep, carry on. Uh, get rid of disposable vapes. Um, so we've already talked about that and I've explained why they, they, I don't think they have particularly high utility to people who smoke but are incredibly appealing to young people who don't. Uh, we should um, reduce the visibility of vaping products. So at the moment, vape stores often have very appealing window displays if they're on high streets. They've got high reach and exposure to anyone of any age going past. So it should be that people can only see vaping products once they've gone inside an R18 vape store. Um, I'd like to see some of the packaging changed so that it's just simple black and white packaging, get rid of those really alluring colours and the the sort of social prestige of owning vapes. Um, I think we need to have much better age validation processes on websites um, so that if you can't just click a box to say that you are 18 and access the website. And I think these are, uh, we've noticed a lot of promotions that go on on social media where you can tag a friend and refer them to the website and earn some points or um, something like that. I mean, those sorts of promotions I don't think should be allowed. There shouldn't be free offers. There shouldn't be buy one, get one free uh, sorts of things. So I think there's a lot more that we can do to restrict the kind of marketing appeal that's been built around the products and the promotions that still continue. We've talked about making the nicotine uh, less addictive and you know we could, if, if the government doesn't want to ban disposable products, um, I don't think there's any logical rationale for them continue, continuing to allow these products um, but if they, they don't decide to get rid of them, then they should make them much more expensive. At under $10, they're simply far too easy and affordable for young people to access and fund. As you said, um, Janet, um, Aisha Verrill, the health minister, um, she said it was an easy gateway product, the disposables, an easy gateway product to vaping. Uh, where are we at with uh, any legislation? Is, is anything being started in terms of uh, you know, following the, the advice you're giving? Um, well, the government is um, currently consulting on the regulations um, for the legislation on the smoke-free measures that we talked about earlier. And uh, as part of that regulatory process, it's considering some additional measures to try and reduce the appeal of vaping products to young people. So it's it's doing a little bit, but 
to be honest, I think it should be doing much more. I think you know this is a real opportunity to recognise that we have a problem uh, with vaping among young people. We know from the evidence that that problem is placing a much greater burden on rangatahi Māori than on other population groups. So we really need some measures that are going to be more fundamental and to have a more immediate impact than the ones that I think have been outlined. Yeah, it would seem pretty obvious, really, wouldn't it, um, from, from a public health perspective, just like alcohol in, in that age group, uh, the targeting and marketing towards that age group. I'm surprised that the legislation isn't going through any faster. Um, well, the legislation has already gone through. What's uh, happening at the moment is that the regulations, which are effectively what's going to implement the legislation, the government's consulting on those regulations. I see, the regulations, I meant to say, yes. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I guess we'll have to see at the end of that process what the timeline for the vaping measures that they decide to go ahead with is, is going to be. Okay, and uh, lots more messages. Uh, this this one says, The government allowed my 15-year-old son to legally buy vapes back in 2019. Minister Carmel Cipollone uh, left open a loophole allowing retailers to sell vapes to children of any age for three years before finally passing legislation that came into force late 2020. Uh, you can see why, why that parent's annoyed. Yeah, I mean, we, we really have a, a problem with many young people. I mean, uh, we've talked in the studies um, that I mentioned earlier to young people who can't go an hour without feeling intense cravings that they can only satiate by nipping into the school bathroom and having a, a, a puff on their vape. I mean, we really need to have some processes, some plans um, to support these young people. I mean, it, it's a health issue. It's and I worry sometimes that it's been treated as a behavioural problem and that young people are being punished for an addiction that, you know, none of them entered into willingly, that none of them envisaged would be going to happen to them. And we really need to work on solutions that are going to support these young people so they can quit vaping. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, uh, uh, you know, but people at a young age who start to smoke often force themselves to do it, don't they? because of the peer pressure or what their friends are doing or because of the marketing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the marketing normalises a, a product and a practice um, like smoking or vaping. But I think um, people don't have to push themselves particularly to continue with vaping. You know, the flavours are very appealing and rewarding for young people. They're things that they find pleasurable and attractive. So it's vaping in that respect doesn't have any kind of push through in the way that smoking perhaps once did. Very good. Thanks so much, Janet. Great to talk to you tonight and to get all that information. Most appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Lovely to chat, Karen. Great. Thank you. Uh, That's Professor Janet Hook. She's Professor of Public Health at the University of Otago.